This is an AI Group podcast. In this podcast, we'll be discussing the most significant workplace relations issues of the month, May 2021. The full members-only report is available on our website at aigroup.com.au in the policy section under Workplace Relations Policy and Advocacy. With me today to discuss the key aspects of this latest report is Stephen Smith, AI Group's Head of National Workplace Relations Policy, and I'm Tony Melville, AI Group's Head of Corporate Affairs. Hello, Stephen. There's been a lot going on in the IR world. There has. <laughs> and particularly the IR omnibus bill, um, which most of which didn't get through, but some of which did, and particularly around the important changes to the in casual, the casual employment laws. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yes, there's a lot happening with casual employment. One of the issues is, uh, of course, the new amendments to the Fair Work Acts that arose from the government's IR omnibus bill, but there's a, a number of other issues as well. But firstly, with the uh, casual changes to the Act, uh, there's a new definition of casual employment, there's comprehensive protection for employers against double dipping claims, a uh, requirement that every casual employee receive a copy of a new casual employment information statement, and new rights for casuals to convert to permanent employment after 12 months of service where that would be reasonable in the circumstances. So um, this will require pretty well every business with a casual to go out to their casuals and have a strategy of, of adhering to all these new rules, is that right? Yes, any business that has any casual cannot afford to do uh, Nothing, because there are specified things in the legislation that need to be done. For example, giving every casual employee a copy of the casual employment information statement. So that's got to be given to all existing casuals and all new casuals as they commence uh, employment. And there are timeframes around that. But it's a very important thing from an employer point of view is it clarifies the definition of casual employment so there's no misunderstandings and sets out the rights of employees with casual conversion. And so what's that definition? And the definition is uh, a bit more complicated than what employers would be used to, but it, it sets out um, the, the criteria that applies to a casual employee. You know, obviously a casual employee is someone that's engaged uh, on that on that basis. There's offer and acceptance of employment on the basis that they're a casual employee. You know they need to be paid uh, the, the casual loading or the special additional compensation for casual employment. They uh, have the right to accept or reject uh, shifts, and they work uh, as required according to the needs of the employer. So the the definition is set out in the legislation and in this casual employment information statement. The best approach for employers is to issue casual employees with a new um, employment contract or a, you know, a document that clarifies that this is the basis for the employment uh, going forward. And there are some templates for this? Um, yes, AI Group can certainly assist with the uh, uh, those uh, documents. Right, okay. And what are the risks if you don't do all these things? Well, the, the problem 
is that because the definition revolves around the concept of offer and acceptance as a casual employee, if you don't offer and accept under the new legislation, then there could still be some doubt about the status of the person. Now, these laws were intended, intended to protect against about $40 billion worth of cost risk for employers that came out of uh, a couple of uh, federal court decisions, the Workpack work pack versus Skeen case and the Workpack versus Rosato case. So, you know, the laws are there, but employers need to make sure they apply them. But just with that one on the right to convert to permanent employment for, for casual workers, are you expecting a big jump in casuals moving to full-time? Not really. If you think about the fact that these casual conversion provisions have been in award since about 2000, so we've got more than 20 years of history, and the experience is that uh, when employers offer the opportunity to casuals to convert, that often casuals don't want to convert because they either don't want to lose the 25% casual loading or they don't want to lose the flexibility that they enjoy or both. Okay, so it's not much different from previous conversion rules. It, the, the big difference is that it's swung around the opposite way to most award provisions. So this is an obligation on an employer to offer conversion if an employee is eligible. Under award clauses, it's uh, an obligation uh, on an employer to convert if the employee makes a request. So it, it is a little different, but the key thing is the conversion right doesn't apply if the employer has reasonable grounds not to offer conversion. Yeah, the second issue to talk about is Casual Terms Award Review 2021. Under the Fair Work Act changes, casual employment uh, has now requires that the Fair Work Commission review all awards by 27 September 2021. That's not that far off to ensure relevant award provisions operate effectively under the new provisions of the Act. What's going to happen there? Yes, there are 121 um, industry or occupational awards. We've got one less than, than we had uh, when the award modernisation process started. And of those 121 modern awards, 118 of them have casual provisions. Now, the Fair Work Commission has to review all of those casual clauses in all of those awards and make sure that they operate effectively with the new legislative provisions, including the definition in the Act and the casual conversion provisions. There's a, a huge amount of complexity to all of that. A five-member full bench of the Commission is uh, looking at this issue, and AI Group just a few days ago filed a submission of about 100 pages um, going into a lot of technical detail about um, some of these issues. The Commission itself has put out a, a long list of technical uh, questions that it wants uh, answered, and this is just the very first stage of this review. It's a very tight time frame. It's all got to be finished by the 27th of September this year. Okay, and you'll be consulting with members over this issue? Yes, we will be, uh, and uh, uh, yeah, watch... 
this space really with awards because uh, at the moment awards do not align with the legislation. Hence why the government set a very tight time frame to get those awards uh, in line with the legislation to avoid uncertainty and confusion. Okay. okay, now the other big issue of the last month, or actually the last couple of months, has been the annual wage review, uh, which is in its final stages. Where are we up to with that and what uh, has been AI Group's position on that annual wage review? Yes, a decision will be handed down in the annual wage review in the middle of June. Um, it, there's a lot of complexity around the review this year uh, for, for various reasons. Obviously, the, uh, the impact of the pandemic is a key issue. But last year, um, the pandemic uh, impacts led to the Commission having three separate operative dates for wage increases in various industries based on whether those industries were heavily impacted by the pandemic or, or not. Uh, this year, there's a significant difference of view between employers and unions about whether phased operative dates should be continued. And we're certainly arguing that, yes, uh, they should. Um, you know, we've proposed uh, increases for uh, 1st of September rather than the 1st of July for most industries and for those particularly hard hit by the pandemic like hospitality and so on, uh, that the increases should be operative from the 1st of January. The unions are saying it should be the 1st of July for all industries. Where we've proposed a 1.1% uh, minimum wage increase. The ACTU is proposing a 3.5% increase. Okay, and so t taking into account the superannuation guarantee and other factors, how does the superannuation guarantee and tax changes impact our position? Well, what we've argued, in addition to that 1.1% that we've proposed, is that um, when you look at the half a percent superannuation guarantee increase that's payable from the 1st of July, and also the tax benefits that employees have received from the tax changes last year, that that all adds up to an increase of uh, about 3.2%. So even though you know our proposal is for a 1.1% increase, which aligns with the latest inflation figures, when you look at those changes to the broader social safety net with tax and superannuation changes, low-paid workers uh, end up with a significant in increase in their uh, you know, living standards, if you like. And when is the reminder when the final decision will be made? Uh, it'll, it has to be made uh, before the 1st of July, but you know, we had the final hearings just in the last week or so, and there are two more rounds of submissions about the latest uh, national accounts figures that... Uh, that come out in, in early June. So they'll make a decision uh, most likely in the middle of June. Okay. Now, COVID and vaccinations has been a big issue for just about all businesses, and we've done a number of webinars on this issue, but as the vaccination picks, uh, program picks up pace, the debate and discussion around what circumstances businesses could reasonably direct employees to have the COVID vaccination are increasing as well. We're getting a lot of calls on that. 
So what is the latest situation in terms of ability to mandate vaccines and what businesses should be doing about vaccinations? Yeah, as of um, the current time, it's not practicable for you know, nearly all employers to mandate vaccinations because uh, most of the, most employers will be in the situation where all of their employees haven't had uh, access to the vaccinations yet because the rollout is is based on the age and vulnerability of uh, the relevant people in the population. But later this year, when all employees have access to the uh, vaccinations, the issue will come more prominent about in what circumstances would it be reasonable to direct employees to have a COVID vaccination. Now, the, the regulators, the Fair Work Ombudsman and Safe Work Australia have said that it would be in unusual circumstances where, where this would be reasonable, but that, of course, is just a view because we don't have... Uh, you know, court decisions and so on at this stage on, on what the rights are of employers and employees. And it comes back to the common law right of an employer to issue a lawful and reasonable direction. Question is, would it be lawful and reasonable to direct employees to have a vaccination in uh, particular circumstances? So at the moment, for employers, they're better off Encouraging, if they like, their workforce to get vaccinated. They can't mandate it. They shouldn't be mandating it. And, uh, you know, that, that situation may change, but um, it's unclear. Yeah, one very interesting thing that's been happening is there's been a, uh, a series of recent decisions in the unfair dismissal jurisdiction about flu vaccinations. Now, flu vaccinations are a bit different because in residential aged care, um, there are public health orders that require employees to have a flu vaccination uh, with some limited exemptions. Now, just in uh, April and May, there's been three decisions of the Fair Work Commission upholding the dismissal of three employees for refusing flu vaccinations, two of those in aged care and one in a childcare um, situation. Now, that, those decisions are being uh, discussed and debated about what relevance they might have to COVID vaccinations. Now, at the present time, there are no public health orders relating to COVID vaccinations, so that's one reason why they're not directly applicable, but uh, you know, this issue will become more and more prominent over the months ahead. Yeah, it'll be an important one to watch, of course. Now, just finally, the federal government's response to the respective work recommendations, they're looking at getting legislation ready for parliament pretty soon uh, to address rec recommendations around sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. What's the situation there? Yeah, well, th this has become a very big priority for the government. The Prime Minister has announced that there will be legislation introduced into parliament by the end of June to implement some of the 55 recommendations of the Sex Discrimination Commissioner's inquiry into sexual harassment in Australian workplaces. Um, they're comprehensive recommendations, so they certainly won't be able to legislate by uh, the end of June uh, across all the areas, 
but uh, there, there are a range of um, changes, you know, changes to anti-discrimination laws that have been recommended, you know, expanding the anti-bullying jurisdiction in the Fair Work Act to, uh, to cover sexual harassment matters, uh, changing the definition of serious misconduct in the Fair Work regulations to make it clear that that can include sexual harassment conduct. Uh, so th this is going to be a big issue uh, during the course of this year. Okay, thanks, Steve. I might wrap it up there. The full members-only report on which this podcast is based is available on our website at ourgroup.com.au. So go to Workplace Relations Policy and Advocacy. Thank you, Stephen Smith, our group's head of National Workplace Relations Policy. And that's all for now. See you next time.